And good morning, everybody. Man, so many reasons to magnify the Lord, so many reasons to give thanks for the Lord. We made it through another year, for one thing. We kind of raced through it. Anybody else raced through 2023? Somebody told me that when I get older, I'd slow down, but that's not true. Things are moving along, and, and God's been good, but... You know, there's so many things that we ought to be thinking about. There's so many things we ought to be acknowledging in our life, especially about Christ and especially about God and especially about our needs. There's many, many things we should be thankful for. I mean, have you thought about the things you're thankful for? Sometimes it's great at the end of the year just to look back and, and just think about what God's done in your life. Family things, you know, protection, uh, the way he's provided for you, comfort, wisdom, I mean, just love. There's so many things to be thankful for, and I hope you'll take time to be thankful for them. There's so many things we should be praying about. I mean, man, I hope we become a people of prayer. I know prayer is a difficult thing sometimes. Sometimes it's a time issue. Sometimes it's a faith issue. Sometimes it's just this, this battle to come to God and trust God in prayer. But man, I hope you become and hope we become a people of prayer praying for God to move, praying for God to change our hearts, praying for God to give us a love for him, praying for our community, just praying to, for God to move and because we need him. I think that's part of our problem in prayer is we don't always believe that we need him. There's many, many simple needs before us, both known and unknown. Um, man, there's just some things that have been taking place so with some of our members and some people that we know that have been pretty heavy here lately for me, just this last week or two in particular have been pretty heavy. And, and man, I hope that we are actually taking these things to God because, you know, we run out of ourselves pretty quick when it comes to trying to not just take care of ourselves, but to make a difference in somebody else's lives. There's many trials before us, again, known and unknown, um, I'm sure that some of us have been through some trials in 2023 and other times, but, but, you know, trials are part of it. We live in a broken world. It's been infested by sin, if you will, and that sin brings about trials both personally and corporately and in our communities and in our world, and I hope we're praying about that. And quite honestly, I hope we have the right attitude in trials, you know. Um, I've had a couple little health issues here lately, and and uh, they're not super major, but they've not been very nice. And, you know, I was just reminded the other day, Job, you know, after he had lost all of his children and all of his wealth and his health, he said this, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? What a great perspective on life that God works through good and bad things, you know. So I hope that you're praying about those trials but then there's also things that I want us to think about. There's so many in our community that don't know Christ and in our world. I mean, I, I know we kind of talk like we know that, but, but guys, are we praying for people to come to know Christ? You know, are we praying? Are we actively involved in making a difference in somebody's life, talking to them about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? talking to them about truth that puts them on a, a, a platform of stability and gives them wisdom and hope in the trials and the troubles that they have? Are we praying for God to, to change our world? And it's not going to change 
apart from us coming to him and learning to walk with him. Those are big things I hope we're praying for for this coming year. Man, there's so many people that are involved with ministries in our own church, and yet there's so many more ministries that need to be raised up and taken care of, and I hope we're praying about that. I mean, there's all sorts of things that I could talk about that we should be thankful for and looking back and evaluating our relationship with God and looking forward to the coming years and, and how to impact people's lives and what's going on in our future. But, you know, when you really boil it all down, I mean, when you really kind of move past some of our blind spots, does anybody have any blind spots? And by that, I mean blind spots that you you're focused on and they don't make much difference and yet they're consuming your time. Blind spots that you're focused on that aren't helping you and aren't changing your life. I mean, blind spots that, you know, we cling on to that instead of blessing somebody else, they're actually hindering somebody else. Because the truth of the matter is, is as we burn through this last year, man, the thing that we need most in our life personally, as a church and our community, is still Jesus Christ. He's still the answer. I know sometimes life seems so practical, so real in the flesh that we find Christ impractical. But at the end of the day, there's nothing more powerful. There's no one that can bring more change. There's no one that has more hope than Christ. And so I, I encourage you to realize that, man, there's... There's a need for us to grow in our relationship with Christ. And, and another reason that we need to pay attention to Christ is because there's plenty of struggles that we have spiritually. Anybody have struggles? How about temptation? Anybody face any temptations every now and then? Just me, I know. Fair enough. Distractions that keep us from actually having a relationship with God. I mean, things that overwhelm us, pitfalls that are dangers that we fall into sometimes. You know, sometimes we walk through this world and we live our life without thought about God. We live our life without prayer, seeking his face and his wisdom. We live our life as though we're gonna make something of it on our own, in our own wisdom, and our own strength, and we live our lives like that's normal because that's not, that's not normal. That's not what God created us for. Normal to God is where we say, we need you, Lord. You have the right way for us. You have the strength for us. You have the life for us, and we trust you. That's normal. And I'm praying for this year that we will move past kind of this blindness that we have that says we can live our lives any way we want to, do whatever we want, when we want to. We're strong enough to handle things. We're smart enough to know the future. We're going to live our life without God. I'm praying we'll stop that. I'm praying we'll move to a place where we go, Lord God, you're good and you love us and we need you. And so we're going to talk about that today. You can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. For the first time in over 33 years, I'm going to use a different translation of the Bible. Um, I've been praying about it for a couple of years. I'm going to use the Christian Standard Bible. I think it's a more readable translation, but it's different. And uh, so 
I've already heard this once before. When we came to College Science, I bought a new American Standard because that's what you preached from, and now I'm going to have to buy a different Bible. Well, sorry about your luck, but we're going to switch. So if you need a different Bible, I guess you buy one of those. But um, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with me this morning, and, and I want to I read verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Man, you've been good to us. You've seen us through another year. Maybe we didn't acknowledge you very much in that year, but you were still there. Maybe we didn't realize all the ways you blessed us, but you still blessed us. Maybe we didn't realize all the ways that you protected us, the ways you provided for us the ways that you drew our attention to you or delivered us from some sort of peril, but you were there for us. And I want to give you praise, Lord God. I want to give you praise for the blessings that we received. I want to give you praise for the trials that you walked us through. I want to give you praise that you've been patient with us and merciful toward us. I want to give you praise because you alone are Savior. You alone are God and you alone are worthy of praise. But I also ask, Lord, as we open your word today, that you would, you would draw us to yourself. Help us work on our relationship with you. Help us understand who you are, and what you call us to, and how good it is, Lord God, to be near you. And I pray you'll be honored in all of it, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so when we talk about we we just talk about life. I mean, I I want so much sometimes for God to do what I almost call impossible. And it's not impossible, but yet it seems to be impossible. I mean, my heart for us as a church, my heart for people that I know in our community, my heart for lost people is is this desire for us to know the fullness of God. I mean the fullness of God. I don't mean the cheap stuff in God. I don't, I don't mean God is our puppet or God is our Santa Claus where we, you know, we control him and manipulate him or, or where we you know, pour out our requests and he sends down you know, his answers like Santa Claus does. I'm talking about a relationship with God that is the joy of our life and the hope and the security that we have. I mean, I so much long for it. 
And yet I see so many things that are pitfalls in our life. I mean, just in, just in our relationship with God alone, is, it's, it's tough enough. I mean, you know, in order to have a relationship with God, we've got to love him. And the scripture says in Mark 12, 30 and 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbors yourself. And there's no other command greater than these. And, you know, if I ask many of you in here, do you love him? You'd go, yeah, I, I love him. I love him. I love him. But we have to be careful when we say those things. Because love has to be evident. Right? Love is not just an emotion. I've talked about that over the years, being here at College Heights, and that if I told Beth I loved her, but I never went home to her, and I never showed her, I never served her, I never did hold her hand or hugged her or do spent time with her, then what I said, if I loved you, Beth, it wouldn't mean a thing to her, right? The same is true with us in our relationship with God, because it says over in John 14, 21, Jesus said, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. I mean, love isn't just, when we talk about loving God, it's not just this kind of, you know, words that mean nothing. Loving God actually means knowing what he wants in our lives and doing it. That's where the trials come. And that's where it's not easy. We have a will of our own. We have a way of our own. We have a desire of our own. We have time of our own. We have plans of our own. But man, you can't love God without obedience. And if you really want to know God, you walk with God in love and you obey him and the Father is with you and Christ reveals himself to us and it's a joy. And quite honestly, the joy is him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The joy is, is God. The joy in this world is having God, having a relationship with him. Matter of fact, in John 17, 3, it's kind of clear and simple. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I mean, if eternal life is what we want, and most of us would love it, but for most of us, we say eternal life is to die and go to heaven. Well, that's only partially true. Heaven is only good because God is there. The best part about heaven is having that relationship with God forever, but that relationship with God starts when we trust Christ as our Savior. And so here we are talking about what do we need in this world? What makes the difference in this world? How do we actually have a life worth living? How do we have a life that satisfies? How do we have a life that's secure and that has hope in it? How do we have that life? And we have that life by this relationship with God, which is then the problem, right? Because the relationship with God means we walk with God God's way. That's obedience. We walk with God under his leadership, under his lordship, and we worship him and give him glory. That's, that's how we walk with God. And so when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 16, or chapter 6, excuse me, verse 14, we come to this place where, where the apostle Paul is, is pouring out his heart to these Christians. These are Christians, believers in Corinth. Corinth is very much like the U.S. is now. Corinth was wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. 
I mean, they, you could come to Corinth from the ocean. You could come to Corinth from land. I mean, they had trade routes through Corinth. I mean, they had money flowing. They had opulence. I mean, they had comforts just like we do. And I talk about this often. We have so much that you can't even imagine. We have clothes in abundance and comfort in abundance. And I mean, we have extra food. We got, we got it, right? Very much like the Corinthians had it. But they also were incredibly sinful. Idolatry was rampant in Corinth. I mean, there was a huge temple of Aphrodite in Corinth where at times there were a thousand temple prostitutes so that the people could come and have sexual immorality at the temple and as a way to bring honor to this pagan god, right? This god of fertility and this God of supposed love. And so there was this huge temple that was just the, the key to immorality, if you will. And there was other temple idols there. And man, there was just worldliness and selfishness and freedom to sin any old way you want to. And everybody celebrated the sin. And guess what? These new believers, these young Christians, these men and women that the Apostle Paul had gone to Corinth originally and just shared the gospel and talked about Christ as Lord and Savior, died on the cross, rose again from the dead. They put their faith in Jesus, but they still had to deal with the world. Matter of fact, many of them, man, they couldn't figure out the fact that if you're going to follow Jesus, you follow Jesus, he's your God. You don't get to have Jesus and idols. You don't get to chase after Jesus and chase after money. You don't get to chase after Jesus and chase after self. That's not how that works. It's never been that way. It's never going to be that way. And the church in Corinth was incredibly worldly and incredibly selfish and incredibly arrogant. And so the Apostle Paul, he comes here, this particular passage, and the first thing he says is, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. Now that is a powerful statement. The New American Standard says do not be bound together. ESV says do not be unequally yoked. I mean don't be partnered up next to an unbeliever. And, and we initially hear that statement and we go, man, God, that's pretty offensive. Right? I mean, there's plenty of people that have told me that's pretty offensive uh, why would God not want us to be around unbelievers? Why would God not want us to care about unbelievers? And I'm just going to make it clear, God wants us to care about unbelievers. God wants us to be in this world next to unbelievers. But God doesn't want us to be afraid to be around unbelievers. He wants us to actually pray for them, care for them, love them, share Christ with them. He wants them to come to know him. He's not talking about that. He's talking about don't be yoked together doing the same things unbelievers do. Don't be wanting the same things unbelievers want. That's not the way this works in our relationship with God because there's enormous differences between one who knows Jesus Christ and one who doesn't. And he's gonna talk about these in a little bit. He's gonna kind of flesh this out in a series of questions. So let's just move on to that. He asks this first question, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Now, the great thing about these series of questions is that the answer to these are all very easy. 
what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? And the answer is none. There is none. And what he's talking about is don't be yoked up doing the same thing unbelievers do because you have righteousness in you and you're supposed to be righteous. Unbelievers don't have Christ in them and so they're not concerned about pleasing God. They're not concerned about doing the right thing so they're gonna be lawless. Now I know some people are gonna say, well, pastor, I know plenty of unbelievers that aren't lawless. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because unbelievers, they don't have the spirit of God that lives in them. They're not called by God to walk in humility, to walk in grace, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in righteousness. They're not called by God to take stances on what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is a, what is a lie. I mean, we see it all the time. People out in the world today are telling us that there, there really isn't any morality in the world. Whatever you want to name as your moral standards, you can name as your moral standards. You're okay to live this way. You're okay to do that sin. You do what you want to, they say. I'll do what I want to. No, that's not the way God works. God has established right and wrong. He's established righteousness. And so he is saying to them, man, don't be yoked up with unbelievers. You are to be righteous according to God's word and do the things that are righteous and don't do the things that are unrighteous or lawless. There's no partnership between the two. Don't yoke up together. He asks another question. He says, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now, light in the scriptures always speak about God's holiness, God's goodness, God's presence, God's love, God's deliverance. And darkness in the scripture always talks about the absence of God and evil in this world. And he just simply says, man, don't yoke up together with those who don't believe because you have light in you. They don't have light in you. And the difference is Christ. And so how in the world can you walk together with a person that doesn't have the light of Christ in them when all God wants for you is righteousness and good in your life? Now, I, I get it. I do. I get it. I've, I've heard this so much over the years. It's, it, it's pretty difficult. I mean, we're talking about difficult things here today. We're not talking about easy things here today. I mean, I, I always hear the people that say, well, you don't know my neighbor, pastor. My neighbor's the nicest guy. She's the nicest gal. Man, she helps me out. She cooks me pies. He comes over and shovels my sidewalk, you know, but, but they don't know Jesus and they don't want to ha have a relationship with Jesus. And, and yet, you know, I really, man, I enjoy spending time with them almost more than I enjoy spending time with another believer. Listen, I want you to hear what God's saying. I want you to hear what God's saying. If there's no Christ in them, they're not like us. They're not like us. They don't think like us. They don't have the same purpose we have. They don't have the same direction in life. They don't have the same love and loyalty that we have to God. There's no light in them, so don't yoke up with them and don't be involved in what they're involved with. It certainly doesn't mean don't love them. 
certainly doesn't mean don't care for them and minister to them. Don't hear me say that, but being involved in the things that the unbelievers are involved in, that's the problem. It goes on to say, what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Belial is simply another name for the devil, or it could be for the prince of demons. Either way, it's the chief enemy of Christ. And so he asks the question, what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Again, the answer is easy, right? None. How can they possibly have the same agreement? I mean, Christ came to give life and life more abundant. The devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, there's no, there's no agreement. <clears throat> and so what he's saying again is don't yoke up with and do the same things and chase after the same things unbelievers do because you have Christ in you and he has no agreement with those who are under the influence of the devil. And man, I know that's, that's hard to say, but it's so true. I mean, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and he does that through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's called us, don't be yoked up with them. <coughs> Getting harder yet? Then it says, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And we've kind of already talked about that. There's none. And again, I know we go, I don't want you to say that, Pastor. I have a lot in common with an unbeliever. Not spiritually, you don't. I mean, can I relate to a broken person? Yep. Can I relate to a sinful person? Most assuredly. It's not that I was a sinner, I'm still a sinner. Do I understand when people fall and when they sin and when they screw up their life? I certainly do. But does that mean that I'm the same as them? No. I'm not better. I'm not better. And you're not better. But we certainly are different. I mean, the scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation or creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he changes us on the inside. I've said that for years. I've, I didn't get any better looking. I wish I had. I wish I had lost some weight, got a little bit longer legs and, you know, whatever. I don't know what. I didn't get better looking. But man, did it change me. Did Jesus change you? He changed me. He changed me deep. And he changed me in powerful ways. And all of a sudden his voice was clear in my heart and my mind. And he convicted me of sins in ways I didn't know could be done. And he spoke and comforted and blessed and called and used me. And still does. Do not for a second think that because you fall short in your sins, you are the same as an unbeliever. You're not. You're not. And you can't be because of who Christ is in you. And he goes on and he says this last question, maybe the most important one. And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, if you were living in Corinth at that time, like I said, temples would have been very obvious. This temple of Aphrodite is way up on the hill. You could see it from anywhere in Corinth. And it, it was the epitome 
of wickedness. It just was an evil place. But not to the unbeliever. To the unbeliever, it was the place of sensuality. To an unbeliever, it was this place where you could go and commit this gross sexual immorality with the hope that this false God would then bless you because of your immorality. I mean, it was this crazy thing that, that says, man, if we could just go worship at that temple, <clears throat> then God's going to bless us somehow. And there's temples, I, could, I didn't remember this, but there's temples in this city right now. One just got built. It's not for Christ. It's not for Christ. It's a place where you can go and you can believe that something good's going to happen, but it's not about God. It's not about Jesus. It's not about salvation. It's a lie. And I know that's offensive to some people, but it is. The truth be known is that, man, going to a temple that has no God in it, no living God in it, no Christ in it, is not the same as going to the temple of God, which he says here, we are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Bible says that God sends the Holy Spirit into you. That means literally God is in you. So you are the temple of the living God. And this passage says we are the temple of the living God. And he's talking about us as a church corporately. And so what he's talking about here is what does this temple of idols have an agreement with the temple of the living God? And the answer again is nothing. Nothing. Not one thing. Because in the temple of the living God, he says, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I had a chance to visit with a young couple not so long ago, and they were telling me some of their background, and I just simply said to them, I said, I worship a different God than you do. If you want to know about my God, you let me know. Because you and I do not worship the same God. And then, you know, I share that and I know people look at me like, man, you're so stinking offensive. And I don't really want to be. I really don't really want to be. But I get so tired of both Christians and unbelievers trying to combine everything to make everybody happy when, when all we do is make everybody lost. We don't help anybody. We don't call anybody to have a relationship with God. We call each other to have poor relationships with each other because we're afraid to speak truth and we're afraid to point people to the life in Jesus Christ. Man, worshiping another God is not going to bring you to a relationship with God where he will walk with you and be among you. I mean, what God wants is to be among us. You and I should shout joyfully for that. I mean, we have a living God who's the creator of all things. He created the heavens and the earth. Man, he created the sea and the fish in them, he, the dry land, the trees, the grass, the animals, and you and I, he created all things. And we sinned against him. We sinned against him. That's so offensive to him. What he should have done is just destroyed us, but instead he loved us enough to send his son Christ to save us from our sins, and not only that, but he wants to be 
with us. He wants to be our God. He wants to walk among us. I love that thought. I want to be with them and dwell in them and walk among them. I want to be their God. I want to make them my people. Guys, you won't find a better offer today. You won't find a better offer tomorrow. You're never going to find a better offer than this call from God to be our God and our, we to be his people. It's incredible. You're not going to find that in an idol. You're not going to find that in another temple. You're not going to find that except through Christ. <clears throat> but listen, listen to what verse 17 says because this is where it gets shocking. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, come out from among them. And he's tying this back to do not be yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, what he's saying is instead of living your life like unbelievers live, instead of seeking the things that unbelievers seek, instead of worshiping the things that unbelievers worship, because unbelievers want you to be that. They do. They want you to come with them. They want you to go with them. They want you to enjoy the things they enjoy. They want you to lust after the things they lust after. They want that. He says, that's not how you're going to walk with me. If you're going to walk with me, you've got to come out from among them. You've got to separate yourself from the believers and what they're chasing after. In Corinth, it would have been, now that you know Jesus Christ, you don't get to go with everybody else going back up to the temple of Aphrodite. You don't get to go to the market and eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. No, that's not what you do anymore. You are now Christ. You're different you now have a different life to lead. You're not to go out and, and party and drink the way the world parties and drinks just to say that's something you enjoy doing. You don't get to chase after lust because that's what the world likes to do. I mean, there's crazy stuff that happens in our churches even today. I mean, sexual immorality is rampant within the body of Christ. I mean, I don't know the exact stats, but there's like 70 or 80% of the men use pornography in our churches today. 30 to 40% of the women use pornography in our churches today. The world does it, and that's fine. The world doesn't know Christ, but you and I, we don't get to say, well, if the world's going to do it, I'll just go do it too. No, that's not who we are. Christ is in us. What agreement do we have as believers with unbelievers? What fellowship is there between light and darkness? What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? And there is none. And we're not called to have God plus our idols. Does anybody here have any idols? Of course, there's no idols in America, right? Probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but sometimes I ask Beth, I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just scrolling. I sometimes want to ask her, what for? That's where I get in trouble. I don't ask her that, but I did now. Got a few feet. Get a head start. But I could also ask myself that, right? 
You think those little, those little things about this big that you got in your purse or your pocket don't become idols to us sometimes? Anybody got one? Man, we can just spend our time chasing after things that don't have anything to do with God or his purpose or his plan. It's not that you're necessarily scrolling after something horrific. You're just scrolling after something that somehow you think is going to make you happy rather than turning to God going, God, you, you're, you're the one that makes me happy. Anybody ever wear your idols? You know, you put them on a shirt and then you root for that idol. None of you never do that? I have a team. I got some shirts. I like football. But you think sports isn't able to be an idol for people today? Think it's not? I've literally had people tell me, I'll see you in about 10 weeks. My kids start in some sport and I won't be in church. I won't be around. I'm chasing after my idols. By the way, you think kids can't be idols? Man, you think we don't have some, some real struggles with idols today? And I don't have to pick your idol for you. You would know. I don't need to know. But God's saying to us, come out. Come out from the world. Come out from the way the world worships things other than God. Come out and be separate. Come out and be mine. Don't touch the unclean things. Don't let sin come into your life. Let me be the one that reigns. Let me be the one that satisfies. Let me be the one that blesses. Let me be the one that secures. Let me, let me. And I love what he says, come out and be separate. Do not touch the unclean things and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And my question is when I read that is then who has he been for believers if he hasn't been welcoming, if he hasn't been a father. Because obviously most of us think that just because we've trusted Christ at some point in time, that God's pleased with us and that God's treating us like his children. (coughs) And honestly, if Christ is our savior, he is. He's our Lord. But why would he say this here? Why would he ask this question? Why would he say, come out and be separate? Don't touch what's unclean and I'll welcome you. Why would he say that? Well, man, my only, my only illustration is my own personal illustration. I mean, I'm a father and my children are here. I love my kids and I always have since the moment I held them in my hands before, squirming around in Beth's womb, touching them, praying for them, thinking about them. I love my kids. But there's been times in some of my kids' lives where, where they weren't walking in any way where they had any kind of consideration for me as their father or for who I was, where they were living in a way that, 
there's no way I could actually bless them and encourage them and protect them. It wasn't that I didn't want to. It wasn't that I didn't pray that they would. But at that moment in time when they were living like that, our fellowship between father and son or father and daughter wasn't anywhere near what I wanted it to be and I don't think it was what they wanted it to be. And we'd had those conversations a few times among each other and it's never what I wanted and I don't think it was them and, but it certainly wasn't, wasn't good, right? I wasn't a perfect father and I don't claim to be but here's God. He's so good. But he's God. And he's not asking us to walk the way we want to walk. He's not asking us to live according to our standards. He's demanding that we walk his way because he's good, because he loves us, because he's faithful, because he has blessings for us and direction for our life. He's saying to us, I want you and expect you to obey me and follow me because I'm good and you can trust me. And if you walk with me and you obey me and you walk in righteousness and you don't follow after the ways of the world and you don't follow after your own selfishness, then when you come to me, I receive you and I treat you like the father that I am to you. Man, I minister to you. I'm intimate with you. You are my sons and you are my daughters. Man, what he wants for us is this intimate relationship with him. He wants us to come to him, to step out of the world, to step out of sin, to step out of all these desires that we have that dishonor him and worship something else. He wants us to come to him. And that's where it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard because we're so distracted. There's so many things to chase after. There's so many things to be committed to. And man, once we burn up one, we can find another. Whether it's a hobby or whether it's sports or whether it's sin, you pick it. We can just be burned up with that. When God is saying, what I want you to, be do, to do is to be committed to me and to trust me. Man, when we're chasing after idols or we're chasing after sin, it's not trusting God. It's not trusting in God at all. And what he wants is you to realize that he's your father. And he's way better than any earthly father. He has so much more to offer us when we come to him. So he's saying, leave the sin behind. Don't yoke up with other unbelievers. Don't do that because they're going to head towards sin. Yoke up with me. Come to me. Let me bless you. Let me love you. Let me treat you like my son or my daughter. Man, that's personal. Isn't that personal? So personal to me. Man, my life sometimes is, it's so empty or broken. Sometimes it's scary and overwhelming. I mean, there's circumstances that I hear of and I pray for, I'm involved in. They may not be my circumstances, but there's somebody and they're hurting and they're broken. And sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's small things where I have pains and junk that I don't want to have. And then I'm, I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? Who am I? Who am I? How do I handle this? How do I help them? Where's the wisdom? 
until you realize, oh, my father has it. My father has it. He has the wisdom. He has the power. He has the love. He has the grace. He has the strength. He has everything that you and I need. But in order to have him, we've got to give up the world and turn away from the sin and come to him. Step out. Man, come out, he says. Come out, he says. It's been resonating in my mind all week as I've prepared. Come out. Come out. Come out of that. Come out of that. Come out of that. Sometimes you think about coming out and you're like, well, Lord, what am I going to do in, in replacement for that? How am I going to replace that in my life? And the answer is Christ. He is better than anything we can consume ourselves with that's not Christ. Well, he finishes up. says, so then, dear friends, since we have these promises of God being our Father and us being his sons and daughters, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. How do we come out? We cleanse ourselves. We put away the sin. If you're listening to things that are sinful, I don't care if the beat's good or not. Put it away. If you're watching things that are sinful, put it away. Man, if you're, you're contemplating and thinking on and reading things that are sinful and leading you astray, put them away. Cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. If there's sin in your life, man, put it away. Move away from it. This is where it gets hard. This is where sometimes we think, well, it's not practical to do that. But it is. It is. It is. If you do it with God's help. But here's the big question. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want a relationship with the living God whereby he is your God and he is your father and you are his children and he takes care of you and he blesses you? Is that what you want? Or do you want your stuff, your way, your junk. Who are you going to trust? Because the offer is pretty good. Right? God's offering you him. That's what the offer is. Come out. Don't touch anything unclean. I will be your God. I will be your father. Man, if you're a Christian here today, I think it is the primary battle for us. I think this is the primary battle. I, it's not just the specifics. It's do we want a relationship with the living God or not? And if we do, we have to then put away the sin and move to Christ and trust him. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, it's kind of hard to hear that you're not like a Christian, it's kind of hard to hear. And I don't want it to be hard to hear, but I want you to hear it.
I want you to hear that in order to have a relationship with God, you have to come through Christ. There is no other way. And he loves you and he gave himself up for you. And if you believe in him and trust in him, he'll forgive you and give you life as well. Because man, if he gave his son for you, he's not gonna withhold anything from you, but you gotta come through Christ. So let's pray. Well, let's pray about what we want. What do we want? You're gonna get what you want. You want God, turn to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're thankful for your word. It can be hard, Lord God, to hear. Certainly hard to carry out. But I'm so grateful, Lord, that you call us out of sin. You call us out of the world. You call, call us out of our ways. You call us to come to you, Lord. To walk in your ways and know that you'll be our father. That you'll be everything that we need. Please, Lord, do that work in me and do that work in us. For those that don't know you here this morning, I pray that they believe, that they trust you. You'd forgive them of their sins and you'd give them life in that relationship with you. We need you, Lord. So please move. In Jesus' name, amen.